I lost my dad in 2005, and he would say things like, don't ever let them tell you that women didn't speak. Don't ever let them tell you that we didn't have women warriors, that we didn't have women leaders. They would tell me that women would be the ones to lead in the future. Hello, welcome to Native Lights, where Indigenous voices shine. I'm your host, Leah Lem. And I'm your other host, Cole Primo. Miigwech for joining us today. Native Lights is, at its core, a place for Native folks to tell their story. Every week, we have wonderful conversations with great guests from many different backgrounds. These are healers, artists, policymakers, you name it. Uh, we talk to them about their gifts and how they share those gifts with their community. And uh, one of the bigger points is uh, purpose in our lives and in amplifying Native voices. Here we go again. How are you doing, Leah? I'm great. Yeah, um, happy birthday. Uh, thank you. Just had just had the big one, the big birthday. Feeling good about it. Another yeah. decade in the books, another decade to come. So now I feel younger almost now that I just turned 40 because I feel like I'm like a young 40 now instead of an yeah. old 30. <laughs> I don't know if that makes any sense, but either it's way, just, it's just a good. number. Yeah, just exactly. A number. Exactly. Um, how are you doing? Pretty good. Pretty good. Um, I did get a bout of COVID finally after all these years, and um, but you know, it's uh, it wasn't that. It's not that bad. So we're just. Uh, I can't wait to speak with t- people and get back in the swing of things for sure. Yes. Your instance of COVID wasn't that bad. Thank goodness. I know I always worried about you because you're my family. Yeah. Well, especially with asthma, I was, I was kind of worried about it with, you know, the lungs and stuff like that. But mm-hmm. um, thankfully it hasn't affected that much. It's just the sinuses mostly. <laughs> like I've just blown my nose. I'm probably a little stuffed up right now. You can see, but yeah. Well, you're vaxxed and, and boosted and all that, right? Yeah, so so, so yeah, yeah. hopefully that's, that's helpful. So I'm really excited for our conversation today. Today, we'll be chatting with a great leader in the community, Marissa Miaconda Cummings. She is the president and CEO of the Minnesota Indian Women's Resource Center. I actually used to be on their board back, oof, maybe like a decade ago or so, was a really inspiring organization. So it's great to catch up with her. Um, Kind of the gist of the Minnesota Indian Women's Resource Center, or the MIWRC, which we'll probably be using more, (laughs) the acronym, the the mission is to empower Native women and families to exercise their cultural values and integrity and to achieve sustainable life ways while advocating for justice and equity. And that's carried out in so many ways. They have great programs, great events, including their upcoming inaugural Red Dress Gala, which we'll hear more about. So, yeah. So let's welcome Marissa Miaconda Cummings. My name is Marissa Cummings. I'm a member of the Omaha or Omaha tribe, and I am coming from Minneapolis. Um, so to introduce in our language, um, um, so what I just told you my language is, is that my um, Omaha name is Mia Kanda and I belong to the Buffalo Tail Clan of the Sky People. And I'm from some of our traditional homelands, which is this area of southern, what's now called southern Minnesota. Mia Kanda, that's a great, that's a great name. What's the meaning behind that name? 
Yeah, so um, because I, I know you're both Anishinaabe, um, it would be uh, the equivalent of me is moon and Akanda would be like Manadu. So it refers to that grandmother spirit that resides in the moon. We also like to ask, you know, how are you and your family doing uh, during 2022? Well, um, I have four adult children and had a grandbaby during the pandemic. So uh, that was super exciting. He's eight months old as of yesterday. And I think the pandemic really taught us to slow down. Um, my grandmother always used to say, things are so fast. It's just all so fast now. And um, I, I think it really taught us to reflect and slow down. And he's incredibly, he was born with his head up and looking around and I'm hearing that's a result of COVID babies. Uh, that they're all just being very alert and, and very aware of their surroundings. So, and I do birth work. Um, I've done birth work just delivering my sister's 12 kids um, together. And so it's just a natural part of, of who I am. And so I was able to deliver him and, you know, his first words were in our language that he heard. And it's just, it's a beautiful thing being a grandma. So. I see that it is your second year now that you've been at the Minnesota Indian Women's Resource Center for two years. And, you know, it's such a pillar in the Phillips neighborhood in Minneapolis. Is there anything you'd like to celebrate or share about the good work of the staff and community? Yeah, well, it's an honor to be here and leading an organization like MIWRC. Um, the staff that I have here are incredible. And um, speaking to the pandemic, it has impacted our community here in the, on the South Side Phillips neighborhood uh, in many ways that, that are intersectional with already, you know, we all know the health disparities. We all know all of those things that exist. Um, and COVID just made it harder. It really exasperated a lot of those um, things that we're dealing with in our communities day to day. And so our, our staff are not only dealing with um, their own personal lives and what's happening in their lives, but um, in their own families, but also, you know, the community and the needs of the community. So I can't say enough about the staff here. And it's just such a strong um, Indigenous women's leadership team. And to me, that is, um, it's really beautiful to see how we have engaged community, the impact that we've had on community. Um, and we're all in union with the idea that we have to return to our traditional ways of healing, um, that this IHS Western model of medicine is not working for our people. We're sicker now than we ever have been. And how beautiful it is. You know, we can spend our whole lives batting our heads against a brick wall fighting um, colonialism and white supremacy, and it will kill us. Uh, or we can take some of our time and invest it in learning and growing our traditional ways of being. And so um, that's what, you know, kind of how the nonprofit world works. We're all doing four and five jobs. We're all overworked, underpaid. Um, but we all love our people and love the healing work that we do and, and no matter what capacity that is here at the agency. So yeah, we have a lot of great things that have uh, started. We have started doing traditional birth work. Um, we have brought Iktomi Favell on and she's building her team right now. And um, if we look at the lifespan of our women, 
um, we can now be present from that time before birth all the way through um, the lifespan. And whether it's women that just want to come in and do a ribbon skirt making class or a moccasin making class, or whether it's, um, you know, some of our relatives that are more in need, we offer a, a, a wide range of services. And it really surprises me every day, the level of service that we offer the community. So That's so wonderful. And this yeah. is something new that's come about in the last couple of years, right? The birth work is, yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Can you expand a little bit on what traditional birth work looks like? Yeah. So, um, Iktomi, of course, is the expert, uh, but traditional birthing, okay, so if we look at uh, what they call maternal mortality rates or the number of Native women and Black women that die in childbirth, the numbers are off the charts. And they've convinced us that we have to have babies in a hospital to be safe that we have to have immediate medical care to be safe, that we can't trust our bodies. Like all of this conditioning of of our women. And my great-grandmother that gave me my name, it was her name too, she was a midwife. And there's so much uh, traditional knowledge that we have with our aunties and our grandmas when we brought birth and we brought new life into this world. And so uh, that's what we're going back to. Um, Iktomi can help uh, with perinatal care. She can do visits uh, to people's homes if they choose a home birth or if they choose a hospital birth um, or a water birth. She can be present with them and work with them. It just depends really on what the mom's needs are and wants are for her birth plan. So, um, but it can go as as traditional as as they need to. Iktomi also works directly with uh, Doreen Day and a lot of her birth work that she's done which has also a, a pretty strong ceremonial component. That's kind of her life's work that she's done. So there's so much that the MIWRC does. You know, looking through the programs, looking through the blog and the calendar, there's there's just a ton of stuff. So understanding that that is the case, is there something that you'd like to highlight today that? we, like media, story sharers, should be looking at more closely? Is there something that needs to be brought out into the open uh, that usually isn't? Yeah. So when I'm working with funders, whether it be state, county, city, um, or private funders, one thing that I, I need to share is that our people are not deficient. Our people were fully functioning, flourishing, living beautiful lives, making beautiful art. And colonialism flipped that script on us through intentional and systematic policies. They stripped us and targeted, as warfare does, our government systems, our clan systems. They targeted our leadership models. They targeted our children. They Everything they could do, they targeted our food systems. <laughs> Everything that they could, they even dammed the rivers to destroy food systems and destroy women's practices of agriculture. So we had these amazing trade systems and networks that were set up. And I think that it is the government's responsibility to repair that. When people talk about reparations or they talk about 
I think there's a new term that they're trying to do like reconciliation or something like that. To me, what that looks like is give culturally specific orgs the money to do the work that we know how to do best for our people. And there's always these funding gaps and we're caught in these bureaucratic money games. And all of that system is designed is for our people to not be here anymore. It's all designed for genocide. And so that's one thing that I'm really vocal about because I feel like the government did the damage and the government needs to pay to fix it. And I truly believe in our traditional ways of being in that reconnection to who we are as a people is the way that we will repair ourselves and that we will build ourselves up to carry on into the future. And right now, there's these are we're entering very trying times. These have been prophesized, right? Um, and I say that with a smile because I know that we will be okay. I know that we have the teachings and the capacity and the love to be okay. So with that being said, I see these systems that are built to not fund, like even in the IHS model, it doesn't fund traditional ways of healing. And we know it works. And so I'm going to keep pushing that in every way that I can, because I think that's where that's where our healing occurs. And we have a lot of healing to do. We're all on a journey. It looks different for each of us. We, we mentioned off the top of the show that uh, there's this event coming up soon, the annual Red Dress Gala. Could you speak a little bit about that and just what good work happens from that? Absolutely. So this is actually our inaugural Red Dress Gala. So we hope to make it um, an annual event. And it is on September 9th at the Intercontinental Hotel in St. Paul at the Riverfront. At 5.30, we'll open for a silent auction and social hour. So we have some beautiful items that have been donated or commissioned uh, to be auctioned at the event. And they are all from Native artists. Um, and I think all but one are Native women artists. And I specifically ask people that I know directly that may not be well known, but make beautiful, beautiful um, items that are traditional to our communities. And so um, we'll have those there. And then we have dinner and a program at 630. And we do have uh, two featured speakers, Lieutenant Governor Peggy Flanagan and Senator Mary Kunesh, who have done a lot of policy work around uh, areas that we are specifically focused on here, which is helping Native women prevent and heal from sexual assault, sexual violence, um, domestic violence, and sex trafficking. So we have um, tickets open, so you can find that on our website. You can register uh, through a link that we have right on um, right online. And uh, so far, it's been going really, really well. But the proceeds for the fundraiser will go to uh, our supporting our programmatic work um, and all it takes to do that work. So, are you required to wear red? Is that the. <laughs> No, you don't have to wear red. And traditional clothing is also encouraged. Okay. Uh, but if people want to wear jeans, they can wear jeans. We're not going to be um, policing any of that. But we want to call it a red dress gala just because of the imagery around the red dress and our women right now. Um, and this movement that really is the first movement in modern history that's been led by Native women and that Native women have owned and in protecting each other. And so um, a lot of our 
vision of the agency is to create a space where Native women are supported, where we're loved, and where we continue to support each other professionally and personally um, throughout our lives. So that, to me, is all encompassed in the red dress, um, as well as the healing and advocacy work we do. You're listening to Native Lights, where Indigenous voices shine. Native Lights is produced by Minnesota Native News and Ampers with support from the Minnesota Arts and Cultural Heritage Fund. Today we're speaking with Marissa Miyakanda Cummings, President and CEO of the Minnesota Indian Women's Resource Center. The MIWRC empowers Native women and families to exercise their cultural values and integrity and to achieve sustainable lifeways while advocating for justice and equity. I would like to talk to you, Marissa, a bit about your path to the position that you have, to getting into the work that you do now. Uh, Can you talk about what led you to the MIWRC? I guess I'd be remiss if I didn't start it when I was a kid. Um, My dad was kind of my whole world. He was first generation, did his undergraduate while lugging beef when I was a baby, and then went on to do his master's work at Iowa State. And he was very um, focused on economic development within my tribal community as well as um, working in corporate in public relations for quite a bit. He was also a newscaster. He's the first Native American journalist in the state of Iowa. And it was really important for him that I be able to speak publicly because he would tell me that women would be the ones to lead in the future. And he would say things like, don't ever let them tell you that women didn't speak. Don't ever let them tell you that we didn't have women warriors, that we didn't have women leaders. And he drilled that stuff into my head as as a young child. And I lost my dad in 2005, who was like my one of my biggest supporters and, and where I received that unconditional love from. And so I thank him, as well as my grandmother, his mother, uh, who took care of me until I was four, for making me who I am today and having so much influence on my responsibility to our people. It wasn't about what you can take, it was about what you can give and what it looked like to be a good relative. Um, And not to say that I'm perfect, but those values were were instilled very much in me. And so I I think about that. And then um, I actually had my first daughter when I was 16 years old. Um, When I was 18, I took her with me to the University of Iowa. She was a year and a half old. And I looked at it as an escape. Um, Going to college was my way of getting away. And um, while I was in college, I started to take some American Indian Native Studies classes, started to do um, some studies specifically in terms of history and, and federal Indian policy. And it really framed my understanding of why my family looked the way it did, why there was so much trauma and why our experiences were what they were. And as I started to understand that and understand how intentional it was, it was easier for me to forgive and to let go of any resentment um, that I may have held on to. My grandmother was a survivor of Haskell Indian boarding school. Her father was a survivor of Carlisle industrial school in Pennsylvania. And her gra- and her mother, my great-grandmother, was a survivor of Genoa Indian School. And so looking at, you know, generationally what that looked like for me and my family. Fast forward on, uh, I worked at the University of Iowa for quite some time in higher education, working specifically um, with students that were coming from diverse backgrounds and Native students. And then it was time for me to come home. 
And um, my grandmother had end-stage COPD. And as the oldest grandchild, it was my responsibility to go home and take care of her. And um, and I did. I packed up and went back to Sioux City. I worked for Little Priest Tribal College for a little while in administration and then went on to be um, CTO or what you call CEO of, of our tribe, the Omaha tribe. And then after that, I went at the University of South Dakota, developed a uh, program for sexual assault prevention and intervention, and then was their director of Native Student Services. So I love students. I love working with young people. They're so amazing. They're going to do such great things for this world. Um, and seeing Native students and what they overcome and how resilient they are is just really a, a beautiful thing. Um, and so I really wasn't looking when this job came up. I was like, do I really want to be a CEO again? Like administration is, it's just so much more fun to do direct services, um, to work directly with people and to see the change and impact. And so um, I just kind of prayed on it and then uh, jumped and made the move. Um, when I moved up here, I moved my whole family. So my second daughter moved up here with her um, her partner as well. And so we live about two minutes from each other and have just planned on making this our home. So yeah, that's a big jump. That's uh, how do you how do you like it then? I mean, I'm sure you're not going to say necessarily that you don't, but like, how do you feel like the fit has has been? Well, I was really familiar with Minneapolis. Um, I'm a member of the Three Fires Medellin Lodge, and so we would often visit Minneapolis on the way to ceremonies four times a year. I think it's beautiful here. I love the lakes and the water. Um, the winter, the first winter wasn't bad. It was just like home, but that this last winter, I was like, is it ever going to end? Um, <laughs> yeah. So it is, yeah. uh, it is a little bit colder. But um, I really love how everybody likes to be outside all year round and find things to do, even when it's cold out. I really like that. Um, and I think about, you know, historically, my people were woodlands people and we were in the Great Lakes region for hundreds of years. We actually received our Midian teachings on Lake Superior. And so that's part of our story. And um, and so I I know that I'm laying tracks in the same places that my ancestors laid tracks and um, making relationships with other tribal communities, just as our ancestors did. Um, I made alliances and the urban area is, it's a little different. I'm urban. I'm from Sioux City, Iowa, but our res is only 30 minutes away. And so we're able to go back and forth all the time. Um, so it it is a little bit different, but it's beautiful in its own way. So that's kind of how I feel about it. Everybody from home, I'm trying to recruit everybody to come here. Oh, yeah. You know how it is. <laughs> I was back for Powell yeah. a couple of weeks ago and I was telling everybody to, to come up to Minneapolis. So. Mm -hmm. <laughs> one thing that I do want to say, one thing that really attracted me to Minneapolis is the amount of innovation that comes from the Native people here. And somebody would say things like, I think it's something in the water. And I'm like, absolutely it is. When we think of Wakan Tipi and the sacred site that's there and the, at the things that are underground there um, and how many tribes view that as a sacred site, I absolutely think that there's an energy here of uh, obviously a really harsh history too. But I look at the resiliency of our people that are here 
those that are combining Western education with traditional practices and doing amazing, beautiful work that is kind of leading Indian country in many ways. So to me, that was a huge attraction to the community here. You're listening to Native Lights, where Indigenous voices shine. Native Lights is produced by Minnesota Native News and Ampers with support from the Minnesota Arts and Cultural Heritage Fund. Today, we're speaking with Marissa Miaconda Cummings, President and CEO of the Minnesota Indian Women's Resource Center. The MIWRC will soon hold its inaugural Red Dress Gala. I mean, what's it like, you know, I mean, the Phillips neighborhood, it's a big, you know, Native American corridor. Um, what's it like just having all those organizations around you to, to collaborate with? It's awesome. I mean, seeing the the leadership here and, um, you know, the variety of personalities and experiences, it's just, it's really amazing. And then also looking at those that paved the way for us, you know, those that came before us and, and what they did to, um, you know, I, I didn't found MIWRC, you know, the women that founded this organization paved the way for it to be what it is today. Um, when we look at the American Indian movement, when we look at the women's um, societies that were here organizing, taking care of families, making sure that they could have funerals, uh, traditional funerals and cooking, all of those things that make us who we are, the people that came here made that happen um, during relocation and even before that. And so I, I think of them a lot. And then just having so much innovation and knowledge and energy here is just, it's phenomenal. And I think you saw that manifest this past year with the Urban Indigenous Legacy Initiative and seeing 16 Native orgs come together to work collaboratively for funding that some of us didn't even receive any. But we made sure that those at the top that were doing the work the longest did. And that type of collaboration, I think, can only happen in Indian country because we're we're about all of us. We're not about the individual. We're not about we're not self-serving. Um, we're about the collective and what that looks like for the collective whole. And I think that that type of collaboration is something that is going to continue into the future and really help grow and build our community here to be even stronger than it is today. I saw that you uh, were at the Shakopee uh, Wichipi, the, the powwow over there. How was that? It was great. It was actually my first time at Shakopee Wichipi. My favorite part, so I was there Saturday night with my grandson. He has a little outfit already. He's going to be a little halushka or traditional Omaha tail dancer. It was awesome. On Sunday, they had a drum contest where they had each of the drums sing a song in in the Dakota language. That was super beautiful to me. It was super amazing as a way to acknowledge uh, the community that was hosting it. And it just reminded me of how we are as Indian people. Like, you know, we don't don't just barge into somebody's house. Like we, we wait till we're invited into someone's community um, we do it respectfully and then honor that community while we're there. And it just um, it really made me just think about relationships and kinship and even intertribal kinship and how we look. And it was, yeah, it was great. I enjoy, I danced 10 intertribals. They just went around to 10 drums and uh, I had a really good time. Got a little sunburned, but it was a beautiful event. 
Marissa Miaconda Cummings, President and CEO of the Minnesota Indian Women's Resource Center. Again, they have that Red Dress Gala coming up, the inaugural Red Dress Gala in September, September 9th. More information about the organization and all of their work at miwrc.org. I'm Cole Primo. And I'm Leah Lem. Miigwech for listening. Native Lights, Where Indigenous Voices Shine, is produced by Minnesota Native News and Ampers with support from the Minnesota Arts and Cultural Heritage Fund.